And welcome to a new episode of Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah, pronouns they, them. And once again, I bring you a lovely guest. Today, it's none other than Manju Reimer. Manju, welcome. Thank you. I forgot to put your mic on there. That's all right. Uh, so, would you please be so kind to introduce yourself to our lovely audience? Your name, your pronouns, what you do in daily life, etc., oh, etc. Et um, my name is Manju. Uh, pronouns he, him. Um, I'm a screenwriter for web series and television drama in daily life. Yeah, I um, read up a bit about that because you've been interviewed by one of the biggest newspapers in the Netherlands about that, uh, Volkskrant, like, uh, and. Um, yeah, you do a whole lot of stuff for NPO, making the NPO basically exist. On, <laughs> you're making it exist on YouTube. Like you're trying to get an outdated medium and bring it to the digital era. Is that basically what you're doing? I it's what ha- it's what happened because of what I did. It's not what I intend to do, but yeah, it's it's a nice consequence. <laughs> but how did that come to be? How did you get in touch with NPO in general? Oh yeah, no, that that was a really long journey. I uh, I just worked as an assistant, you know how that story always goes, you know, and you you kind of roll into the right position. Um, but actually, I never heard of web series before. Like I never watched any, or you know, like I was invested in it. And then they just asked me to do one about a topic that really you know caught my attention, which was uh, uh, sexting. And uh, it just happened to be for MPO three, and then that went really well. And then I got to do more, and then. Those went really well too, and suddenly, you know, <laughs> the channel was. <laughs> it was like know. before you knew it, everything kind of blew up. It, it did. It did. It, it took actually. It took a long time before I realized how big it really was because I just was happy with the numbers, and then suddenly they were all like the top chefs were like, "No, it's your shows are the ones, <laughs> the reason right. why we can make this." I was like, "Oh wow, wow, that's a compliment." So uh, you you drew inspiration from I guess what you think is happening amongst teens. So how does that really come to be? It it was really natural. It's not really. I think the key to making anything geared towards teens is to not think of them as teens. It's just like people who are alive in this time. Right. Yeah. That makes <laughs> uh, sense. Uh, so I didn't really look. I I'm a big fan of the teen drama genre. That's that's just in my DNA and just what I watch as well. Uh, so that was a natural fit, but. As a target audience, I just really like looked around and what's going on in the newspapers and the media and you know in, and Twitter, uh, and you kind of discuss those subjects in a, just an adult fashion, and then the teens will watch. Yeah, it's kind of basically if you want to, uh, if you if you want teens to resonate with your show, don't treat them as kids. Exactly. Yeah, because it makes a lot of sense. Pretty much everybody I talked to, or I was older. I was really like, oh my god, how do you approach teens? And I'm like, I don't. I just <laughs> yeah. treat them like human beings. All right, that's fair. Here I go making the biggest error that you can do, basically, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's 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 fair. I get it, but yeah, it is a different approach. All right. So, how much time a day do you spend on that? Why, like, do you it just does, sit down at your desk and it's like, all right, I'm gonna write a web series now? No, no, no. It's. I mean, I do. Obviously, I need to get stuff done. Can you curse? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I was like, stuff. <laughs> I need to get uh, shit done. Um, but it's it's a, just a, it's a full time job. But it's just really like every moment of the day, inspiration can strike, and everything everything I see, everything I do is just you know part of the part of the journey. It it all just kind of comes to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I'm I'm very reactive. So like whatever phase I'm going through, that's what I put in my work. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I just you, you know you, you see my breakup phase, my angry at the world phase, and. <laughs> 
Does it feel therapeutic for you as well to just go ahead and write stuff? It is. It's the most therapeutic thing ever. I actually do go to a therapist, so it's not like I avoid that. But it's it's a different way of... It's it's like what I said. You know, you see what's going on in the world and you have to do something with that. And you put that into your work and then suddenly it resonates with people because everybody's going through that. Right, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. That actually all makes a lot of sense. Uh, speaking of, I, I want to make a, a, a nice segue here into teenage years, but I don't actually know why you came up with this track. Either way, let's get the music going. This is just like a pill by Pink. Just like a pill, a 2002 classic. Um, all right, Manu, enlighten me. Why did you pick this track? <laughs> Because to me, even sitting here and like listening to it now, it just feels like the queer experience to me, um, which I know is a subjective, subjective experience. But it reminds me of the time that I was like in, I don't know what's, what do you call it in English, but it's like Eerste from the Middelbare. All right, yeah, it's like seventh grade. Yeah, and uh, there was a school party and I was... Like, I had friends and stuff, like, so I was a very social person, but still, I walked through the crowd and was just like, this is not my scene, this is not my world. There was like everybody dancing and like making out and stuff. And this song was playing, and I distinctively remember like resonating so much with that anxiety <laughs> that's in the oh, song and just, wow. just feeling like, oh my god, I am, yeah, I am just like a bit, no, just kidding. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I do feel like this, this detachment from this, you know, cultural. Uh, environment and that kind of lasted through my teens and then I realized that oh hey I'm gay and that actually uh, makes sense that I don't feel at home in these heteronormative spaces and it always this song always reminds me of that experience and so, so how, is there a specific line that resonates with you most um, n yeah not really just more like in the middle of yeah nowhere in the middle of my frustrated fears right yeah That's how I feel, yeah. Um, so, I reckon the, that, that that party along with 13, 14-year-olds, it wasn't the first time you heard that track. No, but it was the first time I've actually understood the track and right. that it meant something to me. So, like before it was just a, one of the other tracks on the exactly. radio and all of a sudden it hit. Exactly, exactly. All right, that sounds... Was it... Was it uh, in line with the other music you listened to back in the day? No, that's why. It was like, okay, I was... There, it is kind of in line now because I see the, the categorization. But to me, it was a world of difference because I l used to listen to like Britney and like Disney and like all those and that stuff, just really, really light stuff and happy stuff. And I never felt uh, something which was then considered a darker, right. punky style 
even though you know to actual punk it's kind of light still but mm -hmm. for me it was a huge difference all right i bet so um where did you go from there you went from further down further down <laughs> into rabbit into, hole. into heavier and heavier stuff yeah or not really well not musically because i always kind of cling to the top pop i'm a very very generic basic white girl <laughs> <laughs> in my taste um i but i did i think after yeah like my mid mid teens i did kind of like dwell into like alternative rock you know like snow patrol and all this stuff right yeah. um which is kind of a pop back then as well but yeah i did did i did venture away from britney into into like the stuff that makes you you know recognize your isolation from from a world and that stuff which is part of the teen experience of course yeah definitely but with that we had uh three different options set for this category being a, a childhood memory uh pink being one of them the other ones being trace chapman and katie perry uh why did you decide into the last moment to go for this one because this is really my childhood like Katy perry was of course like in 2008 so i was kind of i was already like kind of mature and i didn't really understand tracy chapman's queer part until i was like much older and i read about it but right uh, it didn't mean that same thing to me as a ping did in my youth all right that makes sense but you would say that you and pink would have very different experiences of course <laughs> <laughs> all right no but no. uh all joking aside you described yourself as a basic white girl in your music yeah. taste. let's elaborate on that a little bit yeah no let's because i think it's i think it's i don't know what it is i'm uh, there was this tweet like uh, recently that um taylor swift's the man i don't know if you know that song it's a new it's a new song from her album and it's basically her singing how um she would be more popular more successful if she was a man because people would treat her differently um which mm -hmm. uh, and there was this tweet uh, from a white gay guy who was like i resonate with that song <laughs> <laughs> even though she's a woman and <laughs> right, he yeah. was a man and i am a man as well uh, i identify as a man as well um so there's this line, especially cis gay men who identify with white straight girls, blonde girls specifically, like Pink, like Katie, like uh, Taylor, um, and sort of see their own experience in that, even though it's not the same experience. Right. The way you described it in your email was how pop music became queer culture. And I just love that phrase. We've got, <laughs> we've got our headline right there. <laughs> I'm always much better in text than <laughs> in words, <laughs> which is why I'm a writer. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's kind of the. I think there's okay. Obviously, there's there's queer artists like Tracy Chapman, like so many others, who do the do the work and do the voguing and do the uh, the, the sound interpretations and, and basically and ex experimenting, imported into say the queer canon. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, that, but also the other way around, like suddenly a taylor swift would adapt those sounds or like lady gaga she basically oh, yeah you know appropriated the new york queer scene and made that into a pop culture thing but then in turn gay people would listen to lady gaga and make that uh their identification and that they're uh, they they kind of capitalize on it yeah or recognize themselves, recognize themselves. in the culture they had invented in the first place but kind of lost touch with their roots exactly yeah this. so there's this whole line of 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 power as well but also like of musical uh experience which goes from queer to straight white girls to right. queer again 
Um, and that is very fascinating to me and also very problematic in the sense that, you know, we, we name these girls, we name these tailors and these Lady Gagas, we name them queer icons when the actual queer icons. I couldn't even name as much queer artists as I can name white pop princesses. Right. Uh, so, it, yeah. Would it be a false assumption to think that there is also like a racial elephant in the room? Because when you think about folking and ballroom, that specifically comes yeah. from a black Latino scene. Well, what's hard about that, and that is also my own like uh, limitation, is that I, I couldn't I couldn't name a lot of, especially uh, women, like queer black women who make music. Yeah. I couldn't no, for neither. the life of me. Uh, and that is a problem because I do think there is a racial component in that, you know, especially black and Latina, uh, Latinx uh, artists did create new sounds and did create this, uh, the space and the music and the, and the art of which, for example, a Madonna became famous and they are erased from mem memory and history and Madonna isn't. So in that whole process, there is a racialized component. And I think that a part of huge part of the success that these pop princesses have is the fact that they are white yeah and that is perhaps the most important part in that their music can be innocent their music can be apolitical their music can be uh liberating and free and light as i called it before uh, it can be free of every social restraint that queer black people or queer poc artists uh necessarily have to put into it for their own survival And then the irony of Madonna releasing a track called Folk exactly. completely blows over your head. Yeah, but also like our modern generation thinking that was the start of voguing in the yeah. first place. So you ha so yeah, it's a power struggle for sure. So um, just want to do a little shout out. Uh, if you are a queer person of color and you are interested in voguing, please feel free to reach out and we'll... I'll ask you all about it. Uh, when it comes to uh, while we're while we're doing shoutouts, as it comes to uh, people of color, queer artists of color, I recently shared a link on my Twitter at Queer Sounds Pod with like a literal PDF file of ethnicity, race, country of origins of all different types of queer artists. So feel free to check that out. With that, I also feel the need to touch upon the cis aspect of it all. Like if we're going to talk about the blonde pop princesses, uh, you you would still feel like there is a specific inherent cisness to it. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I don't know. It just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. It kind of makes me feel guilty about listening to Taylor Swift. I don't know. I think guilt is a very useless <laughs> emotion. Yeah, that's definitely true. But the it's sense, there because I feel guilty too, obviously. Every time I listen to Taylor Swift, I feel like I have to make a joke on social media that, oh, look, I'm, I'm being uh, self-deprecating. <laughs> look at me adhering to stereotypes. Exactly, exactly. And I also joke like about having a basic white girl taste because I kind of feel ashamed for having that taste. Right. Um, and not really seeing that as a part of my identity as a brown queer man. But, you know, I wish I would listen to uh, Janelle Monet all the day, all day long, but I don't and that's not the music that i like and i vibe to so yeah yeah so what's i wish that would change and i'm working hard to change that but also yeah i do listen to <laughs> taylor swift's all, whole album in yeah it's not like you can just yeah what's the word i'm looking for here 
it's not like you can condition yourself into liking specific music something no i mean i think in on the long term in the long term you can because obviously in the long term you have been yeah that's Um, true but yeah to decolonize your mind uh immediately is a very hard thing to do um and also yeah we we can while we're aware of these power struggles and these power changes we can uh, put our support for example into queer artists even though we don't actually listen to them and with that i think it's about time to get into the second track of the day is uh, there's one keyword that fell earlier and was disney proud of your boy i'll make you proud of Wasted time I've wasted me So say I'm slow for my age A late bloomer Okay, I agree That I've been one rotten kid Some sun, some pride and some joy But I'll get over these lousing up Messing up, screwing up time You'll see my now comes the better part Someone's gonna make good cross his stupid heart Make good and finally make you proud of your boy Tell me that I've been a louse and a loafer You won't get a fight here, no ma'am Say I'm a gold brick, a goof off, no good, but that couldn't be all that I am. Water flows under the bridge, let it pass, let it go. There's no good reason that you should believe me, not yet. I know, but someday and soon, I'll make you proud of your boy, though I can't. Since I wasn't born perfect like dad or you Mom, I will try to Try hard to make you Proud of your boy Proud of your boy, a demo version by composer and writer Alan Menken. Uh, cut from the original Aladdin Disney movie, but you know way more about it than I do, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know that, but yeah, um, I know Wikipedia stuff. No, um, uh, yeah, this is this was uh, written and uh, uh, sung here in a demo version by Alan Menken, um, who did it for the original 1992 Aladdin, um, which then the movie... Uh, it got cut from the movie and then it was reinstalled in the Broadway version and then ignored again in the live action movie. I will never forgive them for that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it, it's kind of funny because it's it's a, I think it's the best song from the album and you should definitely check it out. It's on Spotify with the in the, in the original soundtrack. Um, but it got cut. So it's kind of in, ex- in obscurity and nobody knows about it unless you like yeah. genuinely listen to the entire album. Um, but yeah, what why I included it in this is of course because um, Alan Menken is gay first of all, but um, his uh, uh, co-writer, his co-composer uh, Howard Ashman, 
was also gay um, and right after making specifically the Aladdin soundtrack he passed away uh, from uh, consequences of HIV in like end of the 80s early 90s and so that was uh, to me that gives this song such a weight in for like queer artists um that i show it off as much as i can <laughs> definitely and you know it's uh it's a it's a very emotional song obviously where th- with lyrics specifically aiming at uh you know parent child relationships yeah but i think there's a lot of uh something you pointed out earlier a lot of subtext there yeah i mean i think like I, honestly i can't speak for them but it, when you sing about this the relationship between uh, of let me explain first like uh, in the original movie uh, Aladdin's mother was included so this song is not just about a son parent relationship but specifically a son mother relationship which is very very odd like few movies do this in a mm-hmm. non sexual back to the future kind of way uh <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm glad I've never seen Back to the Future. You never should. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is a very emotional story. But I think that it relates so much to me because as a queer uh, queer boy, the the most relationship I didn't I didn't have that much relationship to my dad. who was just like such a you know manly man and you know, like uh, soccer and all those things. And but my mother, I did, and I wanted to make her proud and wanted to see like you know. I could be like her, and I am in many ways. Um, so I think that there's a lot of subtext of queer boys, specifically gay boys, and uh, their mother right. in this song, um, which goes back to you know what we talked about, like queer artists making heteronormative shit, which then gets interpreted again by a new generation of queer people. Yeah, no, but it, it, it really shows, uh, I don't know if it's a sign of the times, but the way we kind of reclaim pop music is we that, should. Yeah, I am trying to in any way. <laughs> I think shows. that's that's. I think that's that's an interesting thing to say because I, in how much because obviously Disney is a huge corporation. Like this yeah. was written for like the m- broadest of uh, distributions. Oh, yeah. Um, can we reclaim this? Can this ever be our song again? If it ever was, um, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm. I think I'm. I think I like that as a as a rebellious act against uh, heteronormative pop culture to say no this is actually ours and i enjoy it in a different way than you and that way is just as valid even though you can just see it as a uh, a straight boy and his mother mom which got cut from a movie <laughs> moving on to moving on to disney though like uh if we're going to focus on that is this this specific one that stuck out um, from all of disney of all of disney or no i'm a huge you... disney fan like i, I listen right. to all of them all right. For example, if you wouldn't have picked this one, which one would you have picked when oh it comes God. to the Disney one? But they're all. This is especially for, true for the white cis straight girls with blonde hair. <laughs> like Cinderella right. is queer culture. Okay, <laughs> there I said it. No. Just... <laughs> oh wow. Uh, no, but I do think that there is a there is a aspect of especially queer people being able to find themselves in these heteronormative stories. I mean, like. Just in in my defense, I think uh, what's his name, Christian Anderson, who wrote The Little Mermaid, wrote it for a man, yeah, um, and it just happened to be adapted by Disney into you know like the uh, story that we know and love, but that doesn't take away the emotions which were written by queer people, which we as queer people can still perceive and and, and love and, and find ourselves in. All right, well, with that, if if I would say and 
if I would say as if it isn't true. Uh, the 1994 version of The Lion King is my favorite Disney movie. <laughs> are, is there some way we can make that gay? Of is course. Timon and Pumbaa aren't straight, okay? Oh, Let's get... That's true. How did <laughs> no, I fucking just... miss that? <laughs> How did I fucking miss that? They raised a boy. No. <laughs> They raised a hippie freeloader. They <laughs> did. And an entitled douchebag. But, um, okay, no, I don't know. Um, I like the line. I love the liking, obviously. But I like it ironically in the sense that I think that it's the most generic movie ever made. It's like, it's so heteronormative and so patriarchal. And oh, so, yeah. Uh, monarchy as well. Um, It's really just a movie that is the most successful animated movie of that time uh, before Frozen came along uh, because it leans into everything that the early 90s was about, which was, you know, that was normal to them. So I don't think there's any queer subjects in that movie. I only said that with my nostalgia goggles on, don't at me. <laughs> Again, um, we can feel guilty and watch them anyway. <laughs> we're all problematic. We're all problematic. All right. Um... But when it comes to your 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 own queerness, if I may call it that, yeah, um, of course. If is is there a specific part of your own experience that relates to proud of your boy in a beyond beyond your uh, the relationship between you and your mother? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I love the song anyway. Like I loved it before, and I uh, uh, it meant a lot to me in the queer experience. But uh, my dad died. Five years ago now yeah um and that suddenly changed the whole song for me because obviously that uh, aladdin that was out of the picture uh, in mm -hmm. the original movie and in the original setting the song was wrote, written in um but to me that just made it so much more emotional like also just wanting to make your mom proud because she was the only one left you know um uh, yeah uh, and there's this line in the song it says uh Because I'm not as perfect as dad or you. And that's the only mention of dad in the song. And right. yeah, that just gets me bawling. Just just, uh, just the thought that I have, the way that I see my parents as these perfect beings, even though they're not, obviously. Um, but that I have to be perfect as them to make them proud. Yeah, everybody, like I feel that. So what came first here? Did you find out about this song while you, while you were listening to Disney soundtracks yeah. and all of a sudden it hit just like it did with Pink? Or exactly. did you just, all right. Yeah, I know I listened to it way before, like when I was in my teens already. And, and then in, exactly it hit in a different way when my dad died. That's some heavy stuff. <laughs> uh, need to catch my breath. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, we can go laughing about Taylor Swift and all of a sudden <laughs> stand there with our tears in our eyes. It. <laughs> We cover the entire spectrum here. Why are you gonna uh, be so mean? <laughs> I don't intend to be. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That was a Taylor Swift lyric. <laughs> oh, oh! I gave you a perfect pop reference. My talent is wasted here. <laughs> uh, I should find another job. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. No. Um. Uh, let's see. Um, because this is the queer segment of it all, uh, I read a very interesting article that you wrote called Translated to English, The Girl Inside of Me on One oh, World. Oh, yeah. wow. I forgot that existed. I forgot that you existed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just going to pretend I know that reference. <laughs> okay. You're doing a great job. I've, Thank you. I bought it. <laughs> Another Taylor Swift lyric, ladies and gentlemen. And others. And others. Damn it. Okay, now, now I'm cancelled. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, no, that, that, that article, you, it basically did the article, the way I interpreted it is as you 
trying to define your gender, uh, going from childhood memories, dressing in your mother's skirts, onto kind of morphing into someone who identifies as a man with a yeah. beard. Uh, yeah. So, do you you don't recall writing it? I do. So I do now. But... I just I wasn't prepared to be remembered of it. <laughs> it's still very true. It's uh, no, I just forgot that it existed. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, but it's true. That's that was my journey, and um, it's interesting because obviously, like learning more about you know being cis and uh, about queer and uh, multiple identities, um, I did consider the option that I I might not be cis um, or I never really identified as such. And I think in in certain ways I don't because I mean, I'm so in touch with my femininity nowadays that you know. It, doesn't really matter to me anymore but it matters to others because i do dress very cis and I, you know i present myself as cis so um but i i think my journey in that is is much more complex than just like mm, assigned a boy being a boy and, and growing up a man so I, it was really important to me to share that and to to also share the end result that you know you can be multiple things throughout your life and that is fine and that is also part of you know discovering who you are right so what was the turning point exactly because it feels like you had some you had a lot of internal struggles i did <laughs> but all of a sudden you just kind of decided to tie the knot and it's like all right you know what i think i do feel comfortable with this or that term well yeah it wasn't really tying tying any knots because i do feel more comfortable at for example, in my sexuality, to be like, okay, yeah, I can I can like certain girls and and stuff, and and still, you know, present myself as gay, even though you know, um, I'm I might not only like cis men, but um, in the terms of of gender identity, I I just feel comfortable being a man now, and um, I never did when I was a kid, and I never did when I was a young adult, uh, but I do now. So in that sense, I. Yeah, I'm 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 happy uh, as I am, and I just kind of naturally uh, ended in this in this right. category. <laughs> to to what extent did socialization have to do with it? Like, did did people force you into specific gender roles, and now you feel For more sure. comfortable with it because you broke free of those? Or For what? sure, that's exactly what it was. Because I, as a kid, I I literally walked around the schoolyard and said, you know, I'm a girl, I'm a girl, right. uh, which is. I realize now a pretty, you know, uh, unique, well, not unique, but, you know, a uh, pretty off thing to do for most heteronormative uh, cis boys. Um, and in that sense, I did feel comfortable with wearing skirts. Um, I wanted to have long hair, which I never could. Um, right. uh, so I was, and like, I did have parents who were traditional and just really said, like, be a man, you know, grow up, uh, behave like a boy. I did have schoolmates who bullied me for being girlish and for for walking like a girl for talking like a girl all those things so in that sense socialization forced me to not be girlish and feminine in any way and then that really turned me into this misogynist asshole when i was around like my 19 or like 20 um uh, so that moved so far away from who i am as a person yeah. that i became you know through socialization i became this really raging misogynist my 20s, if anything, have been a journey towards myself more and realizing I do have those feminine aspects still. And I do love them and I'm not afraid of them. And I'm not ashamed of them. Um, but they are undoubtedly less. And I don't I don't feel like I'm a girl anymore. And that's 
so yeah that was the article and like the girl and me she died and uh, all right just, but yeah. to what extent did the girl and you dying lead to the resurrection of the man if i may call it that like what <laughs> you made you made my life sound so epic <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's 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 what i do right i talk into the microphones trying to sound interesting um <laughs> we all do <laughs> Yeah, no, but um, it the the article specifically ends with something like non-binary is too far off from what you are. What made you decide that you would still go with man rather than all of the other options that you had? Yeah, that's a good question. One that I really pondered a long time about before I wrote that. It's it's. I think there is a significant part of it that's just the easiest route. You know, it's it's. Through, It's the one where you don't have to explain yourself to other people, and I think that you know, you know, you obviously uh, probably experienced that. Um, mm. And I don't, I, I don't want to do that, and I, I don't think I have the stomach for it or, or the backbone, um, if I may call it like that. Um, mm. But um, in a sense, like when I look at my body, when I, um, when I really get in touch with how I feel and how I identify, then. Yeah, I do. At the end of the day, think of myself as a man, and I and I need to be truthful to that. Even though, as a gay man, I do recognize myself in women the way you know, like gay men love Taylor Swift and think mm. love Disney princesses, and you know, we pretend we use memes and gifs uh, with women in them. But I do uh, think you're underselling yourself on that, though, by saying that you don't have the backbone, because <laughs> I feel like either 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 way. We're gonna have so we're gonna need some courage to present ourselves the way we are, right? Yeah, you do. But I feel like people have always, from my childhood on, even when I when I walked around and identified myself as a girl, people have ascribed masculinity to me. So choosing masculinity to me feels like the path with least resistance, right? So and that that's what I mean with backbone. I think yeah, being truthful to yourself is never easy. But yeah, it, it is more given to me to be a man. Like if I don't walk around the street, nobody thinks, oh, that's a non-binary person. Um, and I don't feel non-binary because I do, I'm used to being treated as a man and I do like that. Uh, how does that translate to your everyday activities? Like, um, I, f I feel like you were also like very socially engaged when it comes to, you know, promoting other queer people to be who they are. How do you how do you spread the word? I think that being a man helps with that. I think right. just generally presenting yourself as a man um, opens doors in the sense that white guys want to talk to me because you know I'm interesting because I'm brown, um, but because I am kind of masculine, they still relate to me <laughs> as a human being, right. and therefore I can um, say things that other people, especially non-binary people, I think are people of color and trans women especially um they can't say that because they don't connect with that masculinity the same way so if anything i need to use my privilege as a cis man to open those doors and i think i tried that to the best of my ability does it also tie into uh, let's say your screenwriting like for sure but more non-cis non-straight characters in whatever you're writing about it's very interesting because well i don't know if it's interesting you can decide that but uh It was interesting to me that one the first season I ever did of um, the show Slatsvsasio, I introduced a, 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 a trans woman slash non-binary. She wasn't she self-identified yet, right. um, uh, but um, 
uh, as a character and i really fought for that like i told everybody i know i'm new at this and no i don't have any power and i don't have any say in the casting process but i want this character to be a trans woman and people did listen to that they did fight for that and they, the character did come you know was eventually played by this guy Oof. um which again we you know we're not perfect and uh, we tried our best but the character itself was uh, non-binary presenting in the end results Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that was definitely part of me being a cis man and and saying, you know, I want this and people listening to that. So it did sound like you have to put in a lot of effort, but you weren't alone in that within no, the no. editing room. I, eventually, well, I, w I wasn't in the editing room, but um, I, I think everybody kind of, uh, it was also like it was 2017, so there was just kind of the the. the attention to trans people specifically was just getting to yeah. a height and so people were very responsive to oh he wants this oh well this could actually be interesting and be uh, a good story to tell even though we were you know there there was doubt that teenagers would even be interested in that stuff um which oh wow that's offense to call it stuff but uh to be interested in in a non-binary or trans experiences and I I really you know told them yeah I think they are. Did you do you think it helped the fact that it was on uh, public broadcasting rather than uh, for sure a commercial site for sure yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I have worked in commercial uh, media and there is definitely a different approach to social issues at, at large not just trans people but yeah there it helps that we have a, a duty to the public a civic duty right um i think it's about time we get into the music again um so do you want the version with sophie and stevens the version with james blake or the one with neither the one with neither all right this one's called make out in my car by moses somebody Fantastically named album A Romanticism, 
that's Moses Sumney, Make Out In My Car. And uh, there's actually like five or six different versions of this. We've got one with Stephen Stevens, we've got one with James Blake, we've got an Alex Eiley version. The extended version and this to title up was the single version, one you in fact weren't familiar with. You were quite surprised. I, yeah, I didn't know there were this many versions. And I don't even know which one I know. Which one would you have gone with? I, I don't know. It's the it's the more electronic one. The I was going like I, just, I can't sing. <laughs> oh my god. I mean that sounds like uh, that sounds like something that could have been done with James Blake because that's kind of his gig. Let's let's see. He's just gonna talk over this while this plays in the background. Yeah. It's gonna make the editing a bit messy. But. No, this isn't either. Okay, yeah. Alright. Oh well. Well the more you know. We'll figure it out at some point. Um I would definitely recommend just go ahead and listen to all five of them you listen to because they're all fantastic. You can't go wrong. Yeah. But in the category best life experience. Why, how, when, where, etc. 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 Last year, I think almost a year ago. Um, Moses uh, performed in Paradiso. Great venue. Yeah, amazing venue. Uh, amazing performance, really. And it was the first time I actually went consciously to a queer artist. Right. So that was exciting in many ways um, because I didn't, like I said, I don't get excited about anything other than Taylor Swift. No, just kidding. But um, to, to like the big, pop, splashy pop artists and uh, a friend of mine, was like, I'm going to this. And um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll join and uh, see how it goes. And it was just uh, mind-blowing. And, and, and But what's even better, and we talked about this, uh, is the uh, aromanticism, is that um, he was he was just a platonic uh, friend of mine. He's also queer. And uh, we were with a group. And like during this, this song specifically, we both love this song. And we just started like slow dancing and like really, you know, hugging and as two men who were also just kind of like masculine presenting and the other friend who was straight he later came up to to my friend and he was like i have never seen uh two men enjoy music like that mm-hmm. and like a romantic like just being intimate as men and that to me was so valuable because in that moment i was just like in heaven i was with one of my closest friends i was enjoying good music i wasn't really thinking about what we were doing but yeah it, it yeah, that meant a lot to me that we could that we could be that intimate in the space. So was it? How did it? What what was the scene exactly like? Did you initiate it? Did your friend initiate it? Was I don't it know. Just I the music he, yeah, that happened just, yeah. so magically and fluently. I think I think we, I was just like swaying, and then my friend just kind of hugged me from behind, and we were like swaying again on the on the tunes of the music. It was just really pleasant, and you know. That does like sound like a very intimate but very relaxing type of it thing it was it was yeah. just really nice and i like that i can be that intimate with my male friends without it having to have actual sexual connotations or like no yeah. homo <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh i think that was actually the first no homo on this podcast <laughs> but yeah no you just wasn't familiar with moses somebody before you actually went to see the show you just kind of impulsively no. decided to go along and yeah which is you this was how magic. i usually go to concerts because i'm like a this this horrible a musical 
douchebag who just <laughs> listens to his whatever Spotify recommends. Um, but yeah, when I go to concerts, it's usually because another friend is going, and I like I'm just tagging along. All right. So what what do you do when when it comes to like going out or partying or just just when I, it's anything but concerts? I have never moved past the pink, just like a pill phase, and I still genuinely hate it. <laughs> All right. I still That's go fair. out. That's fair. I do go out, like because obviously, like I I do go out because I want to, you know, hang out with my friends. And then we go yeah. to like, like a big, uh, like Nick's uh, here in Amsterdam, and we just go like to big parties. I, I was saying here in Amsterdam, but we're not in Amsterdam. We're not in Amsterdam. No. <sighs> I'm such an Amsterdam person. Um. Uh. But yeah, we go to like these big queer parties, and um. But I still just feel like okay, everybody's dancing, <laughs> and I'm yeah. not in tune. I just be alone in my room and write <laughs> all right that's fair and um but going back to that intense experience because it's also it sounds like a very intense track especially to those of you listening with headphones um it's i don't know there's the soundscaping of it all just kinda... it's amazing and i think like the other version i don't know which one it is but there there is a version where you just genuinely feel like you took drugs and you just like zone out into a different yeah like dimension it's so good i would also genuinely recommend checking out the the music video to it because it's like also very intense like it's all black and black and gray yeah oh nice yeah i i, I watched it this morning while i was reading up on everything and i just kind of needed to take a break out of that it's, yeah that's why because i like he told me to listen to the song Like he, when I was thinking about going to the concert, and I listened yeah. to it, and I was just immediately sold. I was like, okay, I have to go to this. Right, It's but so how intense. was how was the concert otherwise? Like, did it? It was good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like I didn't know any other song, so all right, <laughs> it meant all the rest meant a little bit less to me. But he was a great artist and a great performer, and we just really, yeah, there were not too many people, which is nice, always nice in Paradiso, and that's true. The vibe was just amazing and chill and perfect. Uh, was there anything remarkable further going on on stage? Just uh, he no, kind of strikes me like an artsy person who would bring a lot of dancers. I've never seen him no. live before, so all of you no, there weren't. There no, he it was really he was alone on stage. Well, not alone. There was a band, obviously, but right. Uh, he was like as a, uh, a singer was uh, performing alone, and he was really just like swaying with the music. And interacting with the public, he, he stepped off stage and just like waded through the audience, like right. Jesus, which fair. Um, so yeah, it was just a really mellow, mellow performance, which which hit home even more. I think. Right on. Um, I found out that you also lived in LA for a bit. Did you go oh, to shows there? Uh, was there a? I did, but I couldn't tell you which ones. <laughs> They were all uh, unfamiliar artists right. just like it was the fun part about that is that the live scene is so big there so you just go to a bar and then they someone's performing and just like listen to that like all of the all of the kids trying to make it there exactly or, yeah exactly did you know there's any specific differences when it comes to the entire atmosphere or the way people approach things for sure in la it's really <sighs> I don't want to shit on the Netherlands, but then again, I do. Um, there's just a, a sense of professionalism there that they really take it seriously. Like they take music seriously, they take uh, television seriously. Like nobody goes there and think like, "Oh, we're just making a television show, and oh, right. we don't really have to pay attention." No, it's their it's their livelihood, and everybody is really focused and driven to to make it big, obviously, but also to just do the work. And versus here. 
there is a sense of okay let, yeah let's just all just act normal and just not get our heads in the clouds we're just making television we're just making music we're not changing the world and i do appreciate the vibe go- that goes on in la that really takes it seriously and, and takes the impact it has on people which obviously like I, I could testify even if i'm not a big music person music has a huge impact on my life and on my on my feelings and on my process and whoever makes it should definitely be aware of that possible impact and i feel that in my work as well like i do write tv shows right. thinking that somewhere some uh, somehow a queer kid is watching this and i don't want them to be isolated from it I, i don't want them to feel like they're less than everybody else so with that you would say that say dutch bands or anyone who's working in hilversum should actually be more ambitious i want to say like, not selfishly ambitious but more ambitious in what they can mean All right. So I'm perhaps more responsible is whatever oh it's the word I always go for. Right. Be more aware of the magic you're creating. And I don't think art in the Netherlands is supposed to be magic. I think it's supposed to be a personal expression only. I feel like there is an entire conversation about cultural history that I <laughs> don't know the details of. We can sum it up with Calvinism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like that would be the good way to go. I feel like that would be. We the don't good. have the time. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, we we do, but it's 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 too straight a story to get into this. It podcast. was eighteen hundred seventy-three. I feel Calvinism is just way earlier. I have no idea, actually. Did it start earlier? Yeah, yeah. I think John Calvin was around like the fifteen hundreds. Oh, I should read up on my history. It's like the, the Protestant. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay, how did we get into this again? Um <laughs> again. <laughs> I want to talk about Moses Sumney a bit more because um he's gorgeous. He's that and he calls his album A Romanticism for a reason to shout out to all my arrow people out there. Uh for sure. Yeah. Um but is did you did you get into him more after the show uh and if so Do you feel like his aromanticism is kind of holding you back in that because it you experience it so differently? I to be quite fair I didn't in the All sense right. I'm sorry I'm a terrible music guest. Um <laughs> no because I don't do that in any way like I I um I only found out about Howard Ashman and uh Alan Menken because of the extras on the DVD. <laughs> Right. I don't usually read up on artists or stuff and like I usually I'm a very big uh, advocate for letting the art speak on themselves. So like even in my interview for the newspaper I was like I don't want to explain my art but I do want to explain how I make it. That's a different right. process but I think art should speak for itself but that's a different conversation. A short version I did not read All up right, on that's it. Fair. But I do think it's interesting that he focuses on in romanticism that much because you don't see that often. Yeah, no, I found out a specific quote. Uh I've never been in love. And with that uh draws a distinct line between sexual relationships and romantic relationships and how he has experienced one but not the other. Which I found a very interesting detail about the person. Um But I think that's I think that might be a reason why I relate to the song that much because it's to me, like even though I'm the like a I'm a hundred percent romantic person, uh I do recognize that I just want to make out with you. Like there's not 
Yeah. I don't, there's no need for us to go on a date like Taylor Swift wants us to. But <laughs> no, yeah, but yeah. it does. And yeah, that does relate to me on a level. And I think that what makes the song so special. Um, I think it's about time we move on to the last track of the day. Um, I I actually feel pretty talked out and there's no need in stretching this. Um, let's see. It's actually, we've got a premiere. Uh, we've, 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 this is the first time anyone has ever picked a Dutch track for this podcast. Uh, I will. Uh, let's I hope see. you like it. Um, wait, wait. I've got. An, I've, I've got. Must have some applause. Sound Don't get too hyped. It's still a cis straight white man. Uh, gay white man. All right. With that, last track of the day. This one is called Bayezain by Mick Jagdeen. Sorry, Mitch, but there is no match. I want Bayezain, but you want alone to bed. You want alone to bed. Sorry Dave, dat ik mij niet geef Maar als ik eerlijk ben, blijft het alleen maar bij deze date Alleen bij deze date Bij je zijn, ik wil bij je zijn Maar jongens, social, ik breng mij alleen maar negativiteit Alleen maar negativiteit Bij je zijn, ik wil bij je zijn Maar jongens, social, ik doe mijn hart alleen maar meer en meer pijn Alleen maar meer en meer pijn Sorry Jay, mami no play Ik wil bij je zijn, maar ik wil je wel voor mij alleen Wil jou voor mij alleen Nee sorry Frank, maar ik bedank Ik heb niets met slangen, dus ik hou je liever op afstand Waarom zijn sommigen zo complex? Want voel je niets, had dat gelijk gezegd Schilder mijn tijd en een hoop energie Je lijkt perfect, mijn man, dat was je niet Bij je zijn, ik wil bij je zijn Maar jongens, social, ik breng aan mij alleen maar negativiteit Alleen maar negativiteit Bij je zijn, ik wil bij je zijn Maar jongens, social, ik doe mijn hart alleen maar meer en meer pijn Alleen maar meer en meer pijn Sorry Mark, sorry Tom, sorry There you have it, Mike Jack Dean, Strickled Bayesian, released, uh, like, don't know, well, I'm gonna date the episode two weeks ago. Um, so yeah, literally a most recent discovery. How did you come across about, how, how did you find out about this track? Very, very boring. It was in, it was an Insta ad. <laughs> Oh, wow. yeah, which you don't see it as often, and I, especially for uh, queer artists. I was like, oh, wow, I should click this. And then it was actually pretty okay for a Dutch song. So, um. so did he advertise the track on Instagram or did someone else use his track in an ad? No, he, he promoted it on Instagram. Oh, all right. Uh, I mean, that's a more original way to come across music than just say, I don't know, I just click through the latest artist on Spotify. Right? Yeah. I, for me, it was a very original way. No, but I, I genuinely wanted to find a Dutch artist for uh, this segment. So uh, I was happy to, enough to, to stumble upon it. And um, yeah. Let's, let's, uh, why did you feel the need to use a Dutch artist? Okay. Well, this is a more political thing. I don't know if we have time for that, but it's um, especially yeah. here in the Netherlands, there was so much to do still for queer rights and there's so much uh, process to be made, even though we are really really far but what i have experienced the past few years in activism is that our focus is undoubtedly on the united states and it's undoubtedly rooted in 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 
the history of the United States and what's going on in pop culture today in the United States. And it's not focused enough, in my opinion, on what's happening in our country today. And I think that to really make moves and to make political moves to address issues that need addressing, um, we need to focus on what's happening and we need to uh, embolden our artists and our queer uh, uh, musicians and, 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 and writers and media creators, content creators, um, because they are, they are there and we, including myself, don't know about them yet. Right. So it was really important for me to find a Dutch artist for this podcast because I think that, you know, if anything, we need to embolden their sounds. Right. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because without getting back into Calvinism, I do feel like that, you know, the Netherlands being the first country to allow or legally allow same-sex marriage, I feel like, all right, back in 2001, you know, we're done. We've got that's, it. Yeah, that's and exactly... now we're still in that same 2000... And, well, I say we. They're still in that 2001 mode. And that's exactly the issue. And uh, I think that if you have a conversation with anybody who's uh, straight... Um, they will say that well, we are, we were the first nation to do that. So what are you talking about? Why, why are you complaining? Um, and, yeah. and and it is better than and than they name a random Africa country, which not only is offensive but also not true anymore because we're we're slipping down the list of uh, uh, top countries for LGBT, LGBT rights. Um, and there are issues. There are is there is a, a distinct large population of homeless LGBT LGBTQ people. There is uh, uh, so so much lack of education in in our in our country. There's so much to do here for our rights. Um, we shouldn't be celebrating something that happened what like 18 years ago. Yeah, that is ages. ridiculous. So yeah, we should be focusing more on our country. All of a sudden, I just kind of realized there. Are I, I mean, they'll have to get married young, but there are people who could get married now who were born after that law change, and that's just making me feel old. <laughs> but uh, it's also kind of pretty that they never see a saw a world where that wasn't possible. That That is definitely true. Um, about the music itself, though, uh, you just picked the first Dutch gay artist that you came across? or No, no, no. I found some others which I my memory could not name for the life of him. But um, this was the only song that I genuinely like listened to in following that discovery. Right. And so I wanted to stay authentic to the, you know, I, this is actually a song I do like and I do want to share. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's fair. But then let's get back into the overarching question of this podcast, uh, which is what does music mean to you in your daily life? <laughs> uh, it means an, an emboldening of my feelings, um, whatever mood that is. Um, and I use music very instrumentally that way haha <laughs> pun intended um <laughs> to just you know like heighten whatever i'm feeling already and just really soothe me through the day and that is both a limitation in that i don't really care about artists or you know like or entire albums or that stuff but also in the way that it does play a huge part and does make me feel and make my under make me understand my feelings better right and with that we have been Queer Sounds. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thank you so and, much. And uh, mind you, of course, thanks for coming by. Thank you. <laughs> if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Tumblr as Queer Sounds Pod. Um, you can also just email me, queersoundspod at gmail.com. 
or just visit our website queerstance.com and tell a friend of this podcast if you've enjoyed it. It would be very appreciated and we'll see you next time. 